Tonight we're starting up a brand new series, Rhythm, moving from surviving to thriving. And I just got to be honest, what I'm sharing isn't like something that I've mastered. This isn't something that I've got it all figured out. In fact, what I'm sharing is what I feel like. It's not like uh, I feel like I'm just sharing what God's teaching me right now. In fact, I was talking to my wife last night as, as uh, you know, I was kind of talking to her about the message. And she's like, yeah, for me, I, I don't feel like I'm coming as an expert. I, I don't, I'm not an expert. I just feel like I'm a fellow journer. Journer? Sojourner. <laughs> We're all journers together in this world, aren't we? I just feel like I'm on the journey together. I'm just sharing where, what God's showing me and how he's working. In fact, the passage we're going to talk about, uh, it was Tuesday morning, real clearly, I, I sensed God was just kind of, with his, like, pinpointing it out to me, saying, Ingram, this is your theme passage for this year. No, I, I, I've never had a theme passage, if I'm honest, you know, so don't worry. You're like, I don't have a theme passage. Me neither, you know, but, but he's like, this is your theme passage. If you do nothing else, do this. I'm like, oh, okay, okay. And I feel like for us as a church, this is our theme passage. Uh, the journey for me started a number of years ago, actually about three years ago. It was around New Year's Eve time, and we're hanging out with one of some of our favorite friends on the face of the earth, longtime friends. You know you have those friends that, like, you just love to be around. They're, they're this married couple, and we have known them for, you know, oh, 15, 20 plus years now. Uh, and we just are the best friends, so when you hang out, it's just, like, amazing. And, and they're the type of friends that always ask these great questions, you know? I mean, they ask these fantastic questions, and, uh, and since I don't ask very good questions often, I listen to people who ask great questions so I can, like, Oh, that's good. I better write that down. And, and this one New Year's Eve night, as we're hanging out with them, uh, is about three years ago. They asked this question. It was actually two questions, and, and it caused me to really wrestle. And, and it caused me to start a journey that was completely unexpected. And here's the question. In fact, it's on the back in your missional community curriculum. It, it, it was this question: What one word? would you use to describe the last year? What one word, if you could use just one word, how would you define the last year, this last year of your life? And I sat there, and as I was thinking about it, and we just had the birth of our third, and was wrestling through some job stuff, and, uh, and it just felt like life was chaotic. And, and as, as I was there on New Year's Eve, I kind of felt empty and like I was running real hard but stuck in the same place and and the word that came to me was survived I survived it I I, I made it through and that's not necessarily a bad thing sometimes that's the we're like hey I made it I'm like but I didn't want you know I didn't want people to think of me as like well see that Ryan yep you know what he did with his life? What'd he do? Survived. 
he survived. I, I mean, that's not the one word I want people to describe me as. So I said, okay, well, well, if that's where I'm currently at, if I look at this last year, and I'm really honestly, and maybe you're there where you felt like this last year, you're just like, I just made it through. I hung on by the skin of my teeth, whatever that means, right? And I just barely made it. I survived. And as I wrestled with that, and over this journey, the next follow-up question that they asked said, what, what's the one word that you want this next year to be defined by? I mean, if you thought about the upcoming year, what one word do you want to describe that year was? And it like unlocked this realm of possibilities. It's like, oh, wow. You mean I just don't have to live in survival mode, just making it through, eking out my existence? You mean, you mean there's another question? Thank you for that other question because I was depressed by that moment, you know? And all of a sudden I said, okay, I don't want to just survive. I want to thrive. And that moment started a journey of what does it look like to truly thrive in life? And I got to be honest, it's a journey, one that has had ups and downs for me all around. I mean, it hit kind of a pinnacle this last fall just in my own life as I came to the brink. Honestly, I haven't shared this, I don't think, publicly yet. Like, September, October, I was on the edge of burnout. Both my family, Jenny and I, we just were hit the wall, and it was hard. It was like my body was just failing to, like, keep up. I was depressed. I was reminded of, what do you want this year to be defined as? I'm like, I don't know, but not this. I long to thrive. I, I long to thrive as a dad. I long to thrive as a husband that would treat my wife in such a way that would enhance the beauty that he's bestowed on her. I long to thrive as a pastor that, that I'd help in some way us as a community become who God made us to be. I long for that to be true. Now here's what I found out. Thriving isn't an event. It's not a momentary time where you show up at a, a church or have this big aha revelation. All of a sudden, it's fixed. Thriving is a process. Thriving is a way of life. Thriving is a way of looking and thinking about life. And so I began to wrestle with this question this fall in the middle of my own kind of personal breakdown. Are the rhythms of my life numbing or nourishing? Are the rhythms, are the patterns, are the habits of my life ones that bring nourishment to my soul, ones that bring joy, that infuse joy and life, or are they simply, because here's what I realized, are they simply just numbing me so that I can make it through the day? Because here's what I found out when I asked that question. Because if, if thriving isn't just an event, but it is a pattern, it is a way of life, it is a way of thinking, then the rhythms that we have really determine, in much part, whether we thrive or not. And I began to look at my rhythms, and I realized 
I began to look at my habits. I began to look at my practice. I began to look at what I do daily. And honestly, I realized even the things that I thought, even the things that I thought was going to be nourishing weren't. They're actually just numbing me. And then I came across this powerful passage. Jesus said something massive. It's not in the screen, so don't worry about bringing this part up. But, but I want to read how Jesus closes this passage, what I think is our theme verse or theme passage for the year. Notice what he says, because this is amazing. He says, I have told you this so that my joy might be in you and your joy might be complete or full. What I've unpacked is verse 11 in the previous 10 verses. What I unpacked is I said this so that the God of the universe's joy might be deposited in you. No matter what the circumstances you're facing, you might thrive and that your joy might be complete, full. That you might experience life, that you might thrive no matter what comes your way, because thriving is not dependent on circumstances, by the way. Jesus says, I have told you these things. The reason I said this, the reason I'm saying this is I long for you to thrive. I long for you to experience joy and joy to the fullest. question for you and for me. Are the rhythms of my life, are, are they numbing or are they nourishing? In fact, Jesus is going to introduce one fundamental rhythm for life that will bring nourishment to all of life. One fundamental rhythm of life that will bring joy. That if you embrace this one rhythm, he says, all of life, all of life, all your relationships, all the things that you're going through, all the highs and lows, I long, I long to infuse you with my joy. I call it the rhythm of remaining. In fact, he's going to say the secret to thriving is abiding. If you got your Bibles, would you open them up to John chapter 15? It's where we find this passage. And we're going to spend the next four weeks in this passage, in this, these, and it's actually 17 verses. Tonight, I'm just going to read four verses and actually only unpack five words. Jesus says this. I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. Now notice, you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me. The rhythm of remaining. Also, I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. 
No branch can thrive by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit or thrive unless you remain in me. Let me give you the context of this passage. John chapter 15. Because this isn't happening. He's not just walking along one sunny day and life is great and he's sharing these words and he's going like, guys... I just had an amazing quiet time, and you know, we just fed 5,000 people, and so I, I remain in me. The context of this passage is the night Jesus was betrayed. The context of this passage is Jesus knowing full well that night he would be handed over to the religious leaders to be tortured, to be falsely accused, and then to be murdered the next day. The context is that he sat at a table with 12 disciples, those who walked with him for three years, and one of them got up from that table and went to go betray him. And Jesus, knowing full well, in fact, declared it, and the disciples were wondering, is it you, is it you, is it you? I don't know who it is. And Jesus sees Judas Iscariot walk off, knowing the moments he has with the disciples are, are short. The context of this passage is Jesus going from what we call the Last Supper, the Passover meal, is in this upper room, is most likely John Mark's room. We'll talk about that in a few months, actually, uh, his house. But they were in the upper room in, in Jerusalem, and they're walking down the Kidron Valley over to the Mount of Olives. And he's journeying with his disciples and he realizes he has precious moments to leave with them what's most important. Knowing that in just a minute he is going to be shackled and cuffed, tried, that the ones that came around him would deny him, doubt him, and run. Now, now if I was the leader... I wouldn't talk about thriving in this moment. I would go, okay, guys, listen up. The next 72 hours, it's going to look like all the work we did was for naught, okay? I'm going to die, I'm going to lay in a grave, and you're going to be scared. So, so let me tell you how to survive the next 72 hours. Let me tell you how just to make it through. And Jesus says, no, no, I didn't make you to survive. I have made you to thrive. You are designed to leave an impact on this planet. So in the last hours, he didn't talk about surviving. He said, you know what? I long for you to experience joy to the full, even in the darkest moments. I long for you to experience peace like you never have. I long for you to experience life and extend that to those around you. I long for you to thrive, and let me tell you how. And then he others, five powerful words. Just five words. In fact, my goal was to actually teach those four verses, and I couldn't get past these five words this week as I was studying. We'll get to the four, the rest of the verses next week. He says these five powerful words that if we would dare to embrace them as true, we would experience this radical shift in our life. He says this. I am the true vine. 
I am the true vine. Guys, guys. I'm it. You can look anywhere else. I am the source of life. I am the only one that can satisfy the longings, the hurtings, the brokenness, and the hopes and dreams of your life. No Jojo or no Jojo can do that for you. No guy, no gal. I am the true vine. Now, when we read this, we hear a nice metaphor, don't we? Like, oh, Jesus, that's so great. And he was probably walking among vineyards at this time. He's looking at it. And I was just, you know, hey, guys, let me share this amazing metaphor with you. I am the true vine. I go, man, Jesus is so good at that. His disciples heard something different. In fact, they heard something that was revolutionary. In fact, what Jesus would say here and declare here was the very reason he would be crucified the next day. See, when Jesus said, I am, he he wasn't just talking about any kind of I am. He was identifying himself with what the Hebrew scriptures called Yahweh. God's covenant name with his people, his personal name for his people. He said, Yahweh, I am God. I am the God that I am, that I am all-knowing, I am all-good, I am the creator and sustainer. And when Jesus utters this word here, he's, you can see the context of John. It is not just that he's declaring, yeah, I am a vine. First and foremost, he is identifying himself as the God of the universe, and most importantly, the personal God to the people of Israel, the covenant-keeping promise God, Yahweh. And he says, by the way, guys, he, he's not distant, he's not aloof, He's not kept up in a temple. He's in person here, present here. The reason you can thrive is because God is present here. I am. A really good place for an amen. You missed that. We'll catch up. We'll catch up. In the book of John, there are seven I am statements by Jesus. Seven declarations. He he says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. I am the light of the world. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. I am the good shepherd. The shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then it, it finds its finality, and I am the true vine. In case you missed the correlation, Jesus later in uh, earlier actually in John 8 verse 58 he's in this kind of heated discussion with the religious leaders and they're talking about Abraham and he says truly I say to you before Abraham was born I am the reason take this because you can't accept Jesus as a good teacher you can't accept Jesus as just a nice guy He made claims to be God. The reason he was crucified on a cross was in that moment, what they understood was he was declaring, I am God. And the religious leaders, that's heresy. 
You, you can't claim that. He says, no, I've come. I am here. Now, I think in the Christian life, in our American society, we've done a great disservice because we think very low and little thoughts about God. And we've dumbed down Jesus. We've turned Jesus, the great I am, who embodied flesh, to our homeboy, to my buddy. Yeah, Jesus, me. Oh, it's true. He's your sacred friend, but this is Jesus, Yahweh incarnate. This is the one who says, I am the center of the universe. I am the one who holds all things together. I am the one who created it all. And so our natural response to him should be, you are, and I am not. All in reverence. Let me give you maybe a a picture that will help you grasp the I am-ness of Jesus. If you'd show the first picture there for me, Ariana. This is the picture um, from that famous mission, Apollo 8, the first manned uh, mission to the moon. They took this picture. They're sitting on the, on the rock that we call moon, and they're looking back at this blue rock we call earth. And I mean, just think about that. I mean, because oftentimes we operate in our life that we're the center of the universe, that if we were kind of going to the I am-ness, we go, I am it. I'm, it's all about me. And then we all of a sudden see a picture of earth in the great expanse of space in the blackness. And I'll go back to the, I'm, I'll get to that one. Um, I'll tell you when next, okay. And, and you see this picture of earth how small it looks, isn't it? Think about this. I mean, this is the rock we're on right now. And it is traveling in space 67,000 miles an hour, orbiting the sun. And at the same time, while it's tra- traveling 67 miles an hour through space, it's actually spinning on its axis at 1,000 miles per hour. And yet none of us give thought to any of that. Isn't that crazy? And Jesus says, I am the one who holds all things together. Next slide. I love this picture. This is a picture from the, uh, uh, the space station that is currently uh, orbiting the earth. And it is the picture of the earth. And then in the background it is the picture of the sun. The sun, which is our closest star, the sun that has such a a mass in it that it has this gravitational pull that not only holds our planet in orbit around it, but multiple other planets in orbit around it, even though Pluto isn't counted. Now just think about this. The sun is 93 million miles away from planet Earth right now. And yet we wake up every single day not even giving a thought. And the sun rises and the sun goes down. We're spinning on this rock 1,000 miles an hour, traveling 67,000 miles an hour. That sun, 93 miles, million miles away, and yet it still has the mass and gravitational pull to hold us in orbit. And Jesus says, I am. I am the sustainer, the creator. Next slide. 
this one. This is the closest uh, galaxy that we have. It's called, I, I, I'm, I may butcher it, the Andromeda Galaxy, or M31, M-31. Uh, it, it actually can be seen in, our, in a dark night by the naked eye, and obviously not this clear. It's taken with a telescope uh, by NASA, but uh, it, was, it can be seen uh, glowing in the distance. Uh, this galaxy, scientists believe, is the one that actually it most represents or looks like our galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy. And, and so if you think about what we just talked about, we're spinning on this rock at 1,000 miles an hour, traveling at 67,000 miles an hour, and around a sun that's 93 million miles away. And then you just kind of expand that out just a little bit and realize that the sun is one of approximately 200 billion stars in the Milky Way galaxy. That our solar system is actually on the edge or near the, not even in the center. And we always think so centric about ourselves and centric about who we are that even our own kind of solar system is not in the center of our own Milky Way galaxy. But there's 200 billion other stars in our galaxy. And the expanse, if you go from one side of the galaxy to the other, it would take a hundred million, 100,000 light years to get there. Sorry, I want to get my facts straight. 100,000 light years to travel from there. Now, a light year, now a light year is traveling at 5.87 trillion miles a year. Or 186,000 miles per second. It would take you 186,000 miles per second to travel from one end of our Milky Way galaxy to the other end of our Milky Way galaxy. And the Milky Way galaxy and this Andromeda galaxy is one of millions and perhaps billions of other galaxies in the universe. When Jesus said, I am said, I, I created that. The mass, the expanse, the beauty, the brilliance. I just need to let you know, guys, before I die on a cross for you, that's who I am. I'm God. And think about how much God cares for you. Think about how much God loves you. When you expand and you begin to think a high and lofty view that He is most holy, most righteous, He is all-powerful. He is the God that is I am, and yet He is intimately concerned about you. If the opening line unpacks for us in this who is speaking, the next line is revolutionary. The opening line, the I am, unpacks for us who, the person, the power, the work of God. The next line, the next line when the disciples heard it was a game changer. You saw all those I am statements. This was the one. This is the one that we went, what?
It wasn't a haphazard side comment happened to see, and he most likely probably was walking through a vineyard, but it, it wasn't just this haphazard said this. He said, I am what? The true, the true vine. For the ancient Israelites, their primary identity as a nation was wrapped up in the imagery of a vine. They understood themselves as the great golden vine. Years before Jesus came on the scene, there was a, uh, what was known as the Maccabean Revolt. The Maccabean Revolt was uh, a guy tried to came in, I'm forgetting his, his last name is obviously Maccabee, but I forget his first name, um, came in and tried to bring freedom for Israel under the oppressing nation, and they actually succeeded for a little bit, and they minted coins, and on the coin, you know what was on the coin? A golden grape vine. In fact, this is where they get it from, and it's in your text. Psalm 80, verse 8 and 9 says, You transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it, and, you, and it took root and filled the land. Isaiah comments on this. Though this passage is primarily a passage of judgment, we see Israel's intended design. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the nation of Israel, and the people of Judah are the vines of his delight. The people of Israel, the nation in this moment, took great pride in being the vine of God, that he was the true, that Israel was the true vine. In fact, on the temple, on the temple was a great golden vine the size of a man at the top of it. Right at the top of the temple was this great golden vine. So now go back to the context of what we're thinking about. Last Supper, Jesus walking with his disciples. He just left Jerusalem and the upper room, walking down the Valley of Kidron and going up to the Mount of Olives. And the backdrop is the skyline of Jerusalem. The centerpiece of the skyline of Jerusalem was the temple that stood out above it all. At the top of the temple, in the background, was this vine. The great golden vine. And you know what it spoke of? It spoke of how we relate to the I am. It spoke of of how we operate and how we find life. said, you know what, there's some religious activity that you need to incorporate incorporate into your life. There's some rituals that you need to be a part of. It is centralized to one location and it's ritual and rules and religion. And Jesus says, I am has visited the planet and I am the true vine. The way of operating, the way of connecting with the God of the universe has forever been altered because I showed up. No longer is it a religion to somehow earn your way to God, but it is a relationship with God. I am the true vine. 
moves you from a place of earning to enjoyment. That the immense God of the universe is immensely personal. No longer do you have to work to somehow attain right standing with God. He longs and has come to attain a relationship with you. Cause me to ask this question. Because if it's true, if what he's saying isn't just something nice, but it's necessary to life, it's necessary to thriving, I gotta honestly evaluate for me this question. What is it that I'm hoping will satisfy? What am I hoping, what am I longing, what am I looking to to satisfy the deepest longings of my soul? Because what Jesus declared in these five powerful words is that you can look anywhere, you can look everywhere, and at the end of the day, it will only numb you if they're the source of life because I alone hold it. Because I'm God. I created you. And I hold life. And I bring life and hope. What? What are you looking currently, right now, to satisfy you? And just think about it. Come on. That's a little uncomfortable. I get it. What are you looking to bring life? What are you hoping that will finally fulfill, finally bring that moment where you're like, oh, that's it. And Jesus says, that's me. Now, for me, for me, because what I, I do when I answer that question, there's two main areas in my life first area for me is the area of performance, of success. That I look to somehow perform at such a level that I feel like, man, that fulfills, that satisfies. I was successful. You know what it does? It leaves you on this roller coaster, doesn't it? Because there's moments when you're kind of working your way up the roller coaster and you're like, I'm successful, I'm successful, I'm making it up. And then all of a sudden you go, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. And you live life like this. And you live from one emotional high to the next, hoping something will finally stick. And that's what I tend to do. You know, another area that I tend to do is people's approval. What do you think about me? Say something good about me, please. I would never say that out loud except I just did, but I'd never like, admit that because I don't want you to know that I'm so desperately insecure that I desperately long for you to say something good about me. Like me, like me. I hope you like me. And then someone says something good. I'm like, oh, yeah, all right. And then I get one of those notes in the bulletin. Oh, I suck. 
How about you? What? What are you looking to satisfy you? Because here's the truth, and you know it to be true. Every single person is in this room is on a quest for someone or something to satisfy you. You're on a quest, you're on a journey looking and hoping that someone or something will bring you life. You're on a quest and you're on a journey and the, and the rhythms of your life declare what you're looking to bring you life. And in those five powerful words, Jesus said, there is only one place and it is a person, it is me. I am the true vine. So, let me leave you with this. If the rhythm of remaining if it requires us to embrace this foundational truth, I just invite you, would you? Would you stop striving after the things that will never truly satisfy? They're not bad things. No. In fact, most of them are good things, but you're looking for that relationship to satisfy. You're looking for stuff. You're looking for pleasure. You're looking for the perfect life or others' approvals. You're looking and striving and longing for all those things. Would you tonight begin to say, I'm done, because it doesn't work anyways, does it? Tired of being on the merry going of life and just going around hoping that'll satisfy and doesn't. I just keep circling. And would you step afresh into a relationship with the God of the universe? Now, we're going to unpack a whole lot more in the next few weeks about the rhythm of remaining, what that looks like and how to do that. But for some, real honestly, all you need to do is confess to God, God, I've looked everywhere else for someone or something to satisfy, and I'm coming to you. Will you be my satisfaction? Will you be the fulfillment of my longing? Will you bring me life? And I'd just like to say to those in this room who do not have a relationship with Jesus, who do not have a relationship with the God of the universe, who have been striving and have been striking out and are looking for hope and long to thrive, I'd like to invite you to step into a relationship with God right now. In this moment, it doesn't have to be some later, all that kind of stuff. You don't have to have it all figured out. You just go, it's an honest cry of your heart to God. And so would you pray with me as we close? And if you're here and you long to step into a relationship with God because of the work that Jesus has done for you,
Would you pray this simple prayer after me? Jesus, I long to experience life, joy, and peace in you. God, I long to truly thrive and not just survive. I believe you are the great I am. I believe you came for me, and I don't understand what it all means, but I do believe you are the Son of God, and you died on the cross for me, and you rose again, defeating sin, death, bringing life. I believe only you can truly satisfy my deepest longings. Today, in this moment, I want to step into a relationship with you. Jesus, will you come into my life and make me new? And if you would just do something for me, and if everyone, if you're not already, just kind of close your eyes. I just want to ask this question. If that's where you're at today, and just with the eyes closed for me, I just want to see, and I want to be able to celebrate, and I want to pray. If you stepped into a relationship with God tonight, would you just raise your hand? Praise God. Praise God. Hold them up, because I can't fully see them all. Amen. Let me just pray for you because what, what the scripture says is that heaven's rejoicing. Heaven's rejoicing. Party's being thrown right now. Welcome to the family of God. God, thank you. Thank you that you came for us. Thank you that you love us. Thank you for those in this room that stepped into a relationship with you. May they experience your presence and your power just in such a vivid way this night, God. God, I pray for those that needed to hear this that are walking with you, that are searching everywhere else, that we would be a community satisfied by you. In Jesus' name, amen.